Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and diving deep into all the details you never knew you needed. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we both not only share a deep love for the show and its creators, but also for our glorious patrons who enrich our lives on more than one level. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 11, City of Angels. Did you notice that the question mark is not in the moment when they say the title in the episode? I did not. Did they say the title? Lucifer says the title. Okay. But it doesn't count because this is the final of the last Season 2 inserts. But did you know that in German, the title is the same, but without a question mark? Fucking Germans can't take anything the way it is. No, we are accurate to the episode. In this episode, we see Lucifer's first day back in LA with some curious happenings and parallels to our very first episode of the show. Yes. So essentially completely irrelevant. Good, got it. Um yes and no. But I will go into that when we get to it. Yeah, show me the relevance when we get to it. I will be hungry for it. As long as you're not thirsty. I'm always thirsty, especially in that one scene. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it right now. I was about to say you can't be thirsty. This episode quenched. Obsession of the week. The silence may be the best segue to that today. So my obsession of the week is Los Angeles. Ooh, I went self-indulgence. Oh, that's a good one too. Mm. Because you told me I have to focus on Lucifer's obsession and that's the only reason he's there. Yeah, to me, it was more about where he is because he gets hyper-focused on that in the end because of what Misty tells him. So therefore, my obsession... But I think both of them work. Self-indulgence in LA. Ta-da! Yay! (laughs) I have a lot of facts and funs, and I'm pretty sure some of them are going to end up in the bonus. So if you want to listen to the bonus, be a believer. This episode was written by a writer duo, Jason Ning, 6th credit, and Jen Kao, also 6th credit. This is their second credit for co-writing. They wrote The Would-Be Prince of Darkness together. Oh, Hell no. We have a one-time director with Mark Tonderai, who also directed the movie House at the End of the Street with Jennifer Lawrence and two Doctor Who episodes in 2018. Which ones? I have no idea because I haven't watched them yet, so I didn't want to click on it. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. You didn't even write down the names, did you? No. That's the new stuff. That's Jodie's stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's enough. The curious thing about this episode is that the original title was Eeny Meeny Mini Me, which apparently is a reference to a Justin Bieber song. And since I have no clue about Justin Bieber, I don't know if that is true and I was not willing to check up on this. Vero, of course, has pointed out to me before that the children's rhyme is eeny meeny mimo, so make of that what you will. Well, I mean, on one hand, Justin Bieber is mentioned in the episode, so maybe they had a longer mention and then decided to cut it out? Maybe. Between this episode and our actual pilot, 
five years of time have passed. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. Because I happen to have found a super detailed timeline of the Luciferverse. I'm going to include it in the show notes. Yay! There is a lot of multiverse stuff. Mm-hmm. If you follow other DC shows, this is interesting. If you don't, this is utterly irrelevant. This episode takes place on the previous version of Earth 666. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. If you don't, ignore this. Well, you've mentioned that before, but yeah, I'm going to ignore it. So, interesting things in the episode. The pronged instrument Mezzakine threatens to use to torture Tio is actually used to put rubber rings on lamp tails. The rubber rings prevent blood flow and then the tail drops off the animal. The tool, which looks like a pair of unusual pliers, is also used in castration and is called an illustrator. Illustrator? Just one L. <laughs> The Lucifer suit at the beginning of the episode resembles the suit worn by Lucifer in the movie Constantine from 2005, in which Lucifer is played by Peter Stormar, who plays Chernobyl in American Gods. That is all for before we go into the episode. There is more fun bits all through the episode. Okay, great. That is exciting. Well, obviously, this entire episode is a previously on. So there is no previously <laughs> on. Not to mention, it's so completely, as I said before, and I can't wait for you to change my mind about that. It's so completely irrelevant to our storyline that there is no reason to do a previously on. Instead, we have the long missing text intro. Yes. Which I kind of missed, I have to say. It was a pure season one thing, I guess. Yeah. So that was nice. It was really nice. Now we go into our scene one. So it says day one, 2011 AD. We get a song introducing our Lucifer walking down the street. It's called Vehicle and it's by the Ideas of March. You mentioned the suit. To me, it kind of looked like Elvis Presley suit, which would make sense with the reference that he makes a little bit later on when he says the last time I was on Earth, this was high fashion. But I really like the suit. Mm-hmm. So when the girl, my grandpa has one just like it, comments on it, I'm like, excuse you? That suit is absolutely amazing. Of course, we see his wings, which is just a confirmation. This is when he arrived, but just after he arrived. Because we do know how he loses his wings in the first time. Yeah, and we have Lucifer and his mojo fully functional even though his outfit may be slightly outdated so that's kind of nice to see him working his magic again on random people which brings us immediately into our party and not just the party but the montage of the party and the alcohol and the fun and it's so wonderful and entertaining until Amenadiel shows up with utterly atrocious timing Yep, it just reminds us, again, we're kind of thrown into seeing our character before the development that they've done over the last two and a half seasons, which honestly was kind of fun at the beginning and it's getting a little bit old right now. Besides Amenadiel showing up, we get a very curious information there, which is Celestials are not allowed to interact on Earth. And that just tells me what the fuck was wrong with... Uriel and Lucifer fighting and all the instances where Lucifer and Amenadiel were fighting. So I'm 
very, very curious by that statement. Because Celestials have been interacting the entire fucking show. That kind of brings us to the fact that there is a lot of rules that don't really have consequences, but they're there to scare angels from doing specific things. So even though the rule is you cannot interact with humans and they interact with humans and therefore are breaking the rule, essentially. I wonder, and I'm going to draw a parallel to what we just saw a f- episode or two ago, would do not kill humans would have no consequences as well if the don't interact with humans has been broken and nothing really happened. It's not don't interact with humans. Well, wait, sorry. So what is it? Celestials are not allowed to interact on Earth. Oh, sorry, interact on Earth. Yeah, how is that not not interact with humans? So, one Celestial on Earth, everything is good. Two Celestial on Earth, great. Two Celestials on Earth doing shit with each other, not good. Okay, I didn't see it that way. That's literally what they say. Celestials are not allowed to interact on on earth and i understood it as they are not allowed to interact with earth you know but that's the context between the problems between amenadiel and lucifer that's why they're not fighting that's why he is not grabbing lucifer and dragging him to hell oh so you're giving the episode a completely different meaning to me to me just the idea of amenadiel losing the necklace in the first place was an interaction that was never supposed to happen and that's why he was so desperately trying to fix it. But he has not lost it yet. He can't talk about that because it hasn't happened yet. Yes, but Lucifer is interacting. Lucifer is saying, basically taunting him, I'm not going back by myself, you have to do it yourself. And Emanadiel is, you know Celestials are not allowed to interact on Earth. For me, there is no other way to read it as in Amenadiel cannot take Lucifer by the scruff of his neck and drag him down to hell because that would be the aforementioned forbidden interaction. Interesting. Which also, you are perfectly right, if they keep breaking this rule throughout the entirety of the show, why is the don't kill a human much more relevant? And which is also why I keep saying, what if they all are being punished for breaking rules? Which is why Amenadiel stopping time in the beginning and now only slowing it and then not even being able to do anything with it. And his wings falling apart and Lucifer losing his devil face. And like m- maybe because they keep breaking rules and Uriel doing basically both, interacting with Celestials and indirectly murdering a person and then being killed even though God could have potentially intervened. So for me, this gives me a base to potentially see in the future that God has been watching, that the rules are in place, and while you don't get struck by lightning when you break them, they do have an effect. That's what I'm trying to do with this scene here. And that makes absolute sense. And which is one of the reasons why I feel this episode actually gives us flesh to the universe and the potential rules that govern this universe. That's fair enough. Okay, maybe it's not completely irrelevant. Maybe it's helping a little tiny bit with our understanding understanding of that universe. Just a tiny little bit. I'll give you that. Also, we get a lot of fun moments in this before Amenadiel shows up, but all in all, it's give me five more minutes and Amenadiel says yes, which I already found surprising in itself, but yay! I mean, in fairness, we've seen him caring very deeply for Lucifer in our regular show. So when you look at it that way, it kind of makes sense. He's like, okay, fine, 10 minutes, whatever. Just get it over with so we can go. 
And he decides not to wait in that room. Instead, he goes outside in full view of humanity, which I found very confusing because why would he choose to do that? But he is careless because why would he even care? It's just humans. And he's standing there in this arch, just in his ancient outfit rope. And it looks so good. I really miss the old outfit. And Mm -hmm. then this random dude passes by and goes, nice dress. It's a rope. I love it. And I kind of miss the grumpier side of a metadeal. I enjoy that he has grown. But his grumpy and out of touch side was very hilarious. That is very true. I agree. I completely forgot that Emanuel gets shot in this episode and robbed. So, you know, it was a nice surprise for me. There is the only thing that's kind of sad in a sense of we know that this is a flashback and therefore we know he's going to get the necklace back. Yes. So that's kind of a bit of a spoily type of a thing that if he would have got lost anything else, I probably would have been more tense. There would be more tension for me in the episode. But also because we know what the necklace actually is. I originally expected some kind of influence on humanity because it is a piece of divinity, Mm -hmm. like the belt buckle. So I was actually expecting something comparable to God Johnson, Mm -hmm. that the necklace would have an effect on some poor human that ends up with it not knowing. That was my original expectation. Jesus, imagine if somebody would walk around as another Amenadiel. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Just something. (laughs) That would be very funny. Did you notice the parallel that is being drawn here between our actual pilot and this shooting? Because the two of us have been complaining that Lucifer gets knocked out for at least a few seconds when he gets shot in the pilot. So does the Manadiel. Yeah, but it doesn't fit with the other moments. Wait. So assume... This was the very first time a Manadiel ever got shot. And it was the first time Lucifer ever got shot in the pilot. Maybe it's like losing your virginity and the first time simply hurts a bit more. And so it takes you a moment to recover from it. Huh? Sure. Okay. I was very proud. I was very proud of my solution here. <laughs> you should be very proud of yourself. I don't think it's very consistent with everything that we see on the show later on. So let's make a promise. If we see another angel being shot for the first time and they also get knocked out for a few seconds, then you're going to agree with me. But the thing is, Lucifer gets knocked out again. When, when Chloe is near no. and he's vulnerable. No, there was, I distinctly remembering that he loses consciousness at some stage and then he doesn't. And it was just, I remember that we talked about this. I remember that we specifically said that he only dies the first time. Either way, if we ever come into a situation like this again and he does pass out, Without we can Chloe talk being about near. it again. Good. Also, if we see a, ne- a third angel at some point getting shot and dying for a few seconds, I'm going to insist that I was right. <laughs> yeah, sure. We also get the title card here. That we do. We head back into the room where Lucifer is enjoying his time with a many of people. I didn't count how many people was there. It was at least six or seven people in that room with Lucifer, right? Yeah, but only two men. Very disappointing. I don't think ten minutes would have been enough either way. 
Oh, saying goodbye and saying goodbye in a Lucifer way, very different ways, yeah. But the best part of this scene for me is Amenadiel trying to gather up an outfit and picking the worst possible pieces of clothing. See, for me, the best part of this scene was as he was taking off his dress and we see the layers of the actual dress. So we see that he's wearing... It's a robe. And exactly what I said, dress. So we we see that he's wearing an undershirt and essentially he's wearing a skirt. And underneath that, he's wearing underwear. See, that was the point when I was like, this is interesting. Why is an angel wearing underwear? Because it's a manadiel. I'm pretty sure Lucifer does not wear underwear. Under his angel robes when he wears a suit, probably. This is what I kind of mean in a sense of like, what is the reason for underwear for a celestial in their angel robes? Prudishness, aka a manadiel. Mm. And also can't be seeing angel dick on television. Well, I mean, that is probably the main reason in this situation. But yeah, it was a nice mental exercise that I had at that stage. And then obviously he puts his outfit on and out to the world he goes. It's so good. I felt it was a bit pandering that we actually had Chloe in this episode. I didn't actually mind Chloe being there. I feel like it's very unlike Chloe that she doesn't remember, at least remotely, that she's seen Ames's face before. Yes. But when I thought about that, it's been five years and they didn't really interact for that long. However, that being said, it was a weird enough interaction so Chloe might remember it better because of that. It's just a lot of up and downs and back and forth and at the end of the episode that interaction or the placement of Chloe in there was not the thing that annoyed me the most out of all the characters that came back for this episode. Yeah. Timeline-wise it makes sense that Chloe is still a beat cop so yay at least we got the timeline right and the interaction all in itself was kind of hilarious because Amenadiel seems like he's fucking high. Chloe seems like she has seen more than enough stupid assholes during that day already. And so I really appreciated that. What I did not appreciate was her basically abandoning her post to answer her mobile phone. That does not fit my assumption of beat cup Chloe. Yep. That is fair enough. I think if it would have been anybody but Dan, it would have been a different story. She wouldn't do it. But she seems so smitten by him in this episode. (sighs) Which I actually really liked because it makes absolute sense on the timeline. But she seems so smitten by him because he's the detective and he's the cool one who's like, you know, risen through the ranks already, whatever. That it actually didn't bother me in this moment. Did you notice that Taco Tuesday was born that moment? Yes, I have. However, I have another note to that. So when we have the pilot, it's five years after this, right? We agree on that. Yes. In the pilot, Trixie is six years old. We know that, right? No. I I think we made assumptions. I am like pretty sure that... She's in grade school, so she has to be between six and eight. Yes, but I am pretty sure that they mention it at some stage that she is six years, that that she has a six-year-old at home. We will check the detailed timeline of Lucifer that I found. Let's do that. But for now, let's work under the assumption that even if she's seven, which I think she's definitely... 
definitely not. She would be one year old. She's too young to have tacos. One, she's too young to have tacos. Two, she's too young to even know that there is a tradition of Tuesday tacos. But yes, I loved the idea before I actually started thinking about it. The idea of having tacos Tuesday born in that moment was a beautiful knot and I really enjoyed it. Anything else? For this moment, I just have to say that Chloe is the better detective than anybody else in there, and I will fight anybody who says different. That's okay. Good. We move on to Amenadiel trying to ask Lucifer for help, and I enjoyed this immensely because it is horrifyingly awkward. And it, it was beautiful, and I loved every little second of it. It was very good, yeah. I was shocked nearly as much as Lucifer was when Ames actually asked for help. And then I was surprised when Lucifer pulls a strawberry out of his pants and just eats it. And then, you know, it just gives it to your imagination why there was a strawberry and how come it didn't get smashed. We can move on to the crime scene where... Dan is being a condescending detective douche again, which I have to say I kind of missed. And it was fun to see Dan in action back, but I instantly have a very important question. Mm-hmm. Is Dan already a dirty cop here or not? 100%. Because Palmetto happens years in the future. Yeah. And there is no Malcolm on scene. So, because my assumption is that he turns dirty with Malcolm. I wouldn't say he's dirty, as in, like, he does stuff that would be meant to be, you know, like, against the law. But I am 100% sure that at this stage already, he's the type of a cop who's gonna look the other way. He's gonna shave a little corner when he can, you know. And it seems like he's doing that in interaction with Chloe, because... The whole idea is that she's telling him, listen, I think there's something to this. Do you want to take a look at it? And he's being very lazy and trying to avoid any work that he can do. Like he has been in the entire season one. Exactly. Which would go well with the idea of him being not maybe specifically dirty in a sense of I'm doing something illegal, but rather something like I'm just gonna not do this and it's gonna be fine. Or I'm just gonna not look into this too hard because that would be too much work. Just like you said in the previous scene with Chloe, she already has her super cop gut feeling and she is trying to follow up leads that are not even actual or official leads. So Chloe, even five years before we meet her officially for the first time, is the best kind of cop you could wish to have on a case. That she is. But back to Lucifer and Eminadiel and their investigation, because they are solving crime together already. Which is a fun team-up. It is a fun team-up. And we learn that Justin Bieber's music is being used for torture in hell, which is an extremely dated reference, but it was fun nonetheless because I am my age. I mean, I think that it works with the 2011 timeline. Yeah, but it is an extremely dated reference, which makes sense that they put it in there. But still, I enjoyed it a lot. But I enjoyed the interaction between Lucifer and the piano player even more with the, do you take requests? What do you want to hear? Myself. Yeah, that is very good. Also, I want to raise a little point here. From the conversation that he has with Amenadiel, he loves piano, but he's never played piano. And then that 
brings me to a few moments later when he just sits down and starts playing. So does that mean that Lucifer can just do it? Can he just... I would say so. ...pick up stuff immediately, which would make sense with so much more that he's done over the years. And I actually really, really enjoyed it. Did you notice what song he plays? I have not... I have had a big issues with music in this episode. He is playing Changes, which is a song by David Bowie. And uh. longtime listeners do know that Lucifer's appearance in the comics is utterly based on David Bowie. And Lucifer in the show is a huge David Bowie fan. I am adding it to our list. I'm making a note right now. And also, thematically, it is a great choice to use this song in this moment and this episode played by Lucifer. That is correct. It's very good. I absolutely love that Lucifer decides to help Amenadiel because he sees boobs. It's absolutely Lucifer-like. It's very much on point for him. And I mean, not just that he sees boobs, but he recognizes the boobs, which is gonna be more on a little bit later when we realize that. But isn't that like the most Lucifer thing he can do? It was very fitting, but I have two other things that still happen in this scene that I Mm -hmm. found very relevant. The first thing is the two of them are talking so loudly with each other and are such impressive characters visually Mm -hmm. and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Even the bartender, when they talk about more things at the bar and he's standing right across from them, no reaction. And I think that this is deliberate to show how perfect LA is gonna be for Lucifer to be there as the devil himself. So this felt very deliberate to me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, here we get the blank check offer for Lucifer as a price. And this is another nod to the comics. In my Devil in the Details, I cover a Manadiel in the Lucifer comics. And there is one happening where he has to ask Lucifer's help for a mission... And Lucifer gets to name his price. And this is exactly what is happening here. I mean, the mission here is kind of tiny compared to what happens in the comics. But still, I really love that where they could, they drew parallels that are completely irrelevant if you don't know them. But if you do know them, it just gives it so much more love for the actual content and characters. And so I was very, very happy with that as well. Yeah, it's super cool. Also, to me, it wasn't as much that Amenadiel would request a favor. We've seen Lucifer before manipulating situation into a getting a favor and getting a blank check out of somebody very specific. And we've seen this here again. So that makes that made me very, very happy. Again. The devilish I owe you. Exactly. And we get a car. This is the first moment where I actively dislike this episode. When (laughs) Lucifer can turn on a car by looking at it. Because he can turn on anything. Yep, that was my favorite quote of the entire show so far. Great, I hate it. (gasps) Okay, I want to mention the alluded song in this scene. That is called Watch Me Take It Away by Cameron Avery. Which I think is very, very fitting. And it's a very, very good song, to be honest. I have a question. Mm -hmm. This is not the car he ends up 
driving in our pilot, right? That's a different car. It is the same car. That's why we see the license plate flying away. Then I hate it even more because that means he stole his signature car. Yeah. I hate that. They say he borrows it. Yeah. But no, I, as he I, takes this... it, the license plate flies away and that No, is... no, it falls off because the new one is fallen one. So it flies away. <laughs> I hate the scene very, very much. This is for me the worst part of the entire episode. Okay. Why do you hate him actually stealing the car? Because Lucifer does not steal. He has no need to steal. He just takes it. He charms people and then they give him things. It's very different if people give you things or if you take them. Okay. They do drive away in the most beautiful car in history. In the most beautiful stolen car. I've got to be super obnoxious. You're very, about very salty about this. <laughs> yes. Still the best car ever. Doesn't change that fact. And straight into the porn house. And question. Yeah. They just walk onto the set and nobody cares. Yeah, it's Lucifer. Just notice how immediately after Lucifer leaves Ames behind, Ames is asked to leave. True, true. So yeah. he just walks around like nobody's business. I rest my point. But as I said, he did recognize Misty from just her cleavage, which, I mean... He's a total fanboy. It's so adorable. He is such a fanboy. Yeah, it's beautiful. Then we have Lucifer walking on there and actually coming up to Misty and having a conversation with her. And yes, again, he's such such a fun boy. But she does say very important things to him right now that are going to come into play with his whole life, essentially. I love that he uproots his life from hell and moves to LA because of something his favorite porn star said to him. It is once again such a perfect Lucifer behavior. So it's just love, love, love this. Yeah. And then we get cringe with a Menadiel. Then we get the whole putting a Menadiel into and out and bringing him onto the actual set dressed up as a window washer while listening to Pony by Ginuwine, which is a beautiful late 90s song that goes perfectly with the situation. It's just, you know that I'm not a fan of cringe in general. This cringe isn't great for me either, especially since Amenadiel's naivete or not understanding of humanity feels so selective. Mm -hmm. He knows what a porn is, but he doesn't understand what is happening to him. He knows what to throw a fight means later on in the episode, but he doesn't understand that he's supposed to have a dialogue in the scene. So cringy and not their best cringe. But Misty is great. Didn't bother me. I love that Misty can really play off any cues. She took whatever aims threw at her and she just made it work. So that's what makes her a great porn star, I'd say. And of course, great actor. Also, Amenadiel inadvertently being the hugest dick on the planet. Of course. Telling her that her lover is dead. Which obviously he doesn't realize is a new information to her. Yeah, still. And it doesn't really fit with the way he manages himself through interviewing her in yeah. a few seconds. So it's 
kind of interesting, weird and inconsistent, as you just pointed out as well. But we do get some plot points that move us along, that he was a fighter and he was asked to throw a fight, which he refused, and that probably is what got him killed. We do get a little cutscene here, where a Minadil, after he finishes the interview, he goes pick up Lucifer, and Lucifer is sitting with a whole bunch of actresses there, asking them if one of her breasts are completely natural, and they're like giggly, and oh, of course, Ames shows up and starts dragging him away, and Lucifer calls him a boner killer, and demands to check the lady's boobs if maybe the necklace is hidden there. Again, completely useless scene in a completely useless episode, but, you know, it was fun. We move on to a very contentless scene with Chloe basically doing cop work. I have nothing to say in this scene. I wondered a little bit if she is required to wear a uniform as a beat cup. I think so, yeah. At least that's what we learn in other shows. But then she's not wearing it now and she's not wearing it when she has a conversation later on with Dan. I think because then she's not actually on the clock. Which would make sense, but that would actually mean that she's investigating on her own. But also she might be using her badge when she's not on the clock. No. I think she's actually doing investigating in her time off because it is not an official investigation. Well, yeah, but... So that is why she's not wearing her outfit so she does not use her cop stance when she's not actually on the clock. But how she gets the guy to talk then? Super cop competence. Okay, that's something that, yeah, doesn't make me completely satisfied, but okay, I can probably live with that. It would make sense for Chloe not being the rule breaker. We get to Rico's. Which is Lux. And as per usual, when we are in Rico's, we get a song called Sleepwalking by Bleached. My first note, wait, is this Lux? And then, oh, it's Lux. Okay. And we get Lucifer and Chloe very close to meeting. The best thing about this scene for me is at the very end of it. Yeah. When Amenadiel gets punched in the face and just chuckles. Yes. That was so good. That smile that he gives before he knocks the dude out is absolute perfection. Adored it. Fighting montage. Training to fight like a human is, I think, my favorite scene in the entire episode. The montage goes to You're the Best by Joe Bean Esposito and it is directly taken from the Karate Kid soundtrack where it also is used in a montage. So this is an homage to that moment and it's absolutely hilarious. It's absolutely great. Lucifer is the best trainer you can ever want and ah, listen, there is literally nothing bad you can say about the scene. Not about the training montage. I agree about everything you said. The training montage or the anti-training montage, one must say, is brilliant. The music is perfect. Perfect. The chicken is so random and wonderful. That's a reference to Rocky though, right? This might be one of my favorite scenes of the entire season three. So far, yeah, definitely up there. It's perfect. It's wonderful. There is just one thing in this scene that is problematic. Okay. And that is Lucifer straight up lying. Because Lucifer says, all I care about is cold hard cash. Is it lying if he believes that himself? Because this episode is so old timeline wise. This is before he has this conversation with Candy, where he agrees that omission and sarcasm and yaddy yaddy are all actually lying 
This always struck me wrong when he was saying things that were not actually true or obviously not true. Mm. And so him going, all I care about is cold hard cash. Of course, it's sarcastic in that moment because we know he doesn't mean that. But it's meant to trick the trainer and thus it is a lie. And so I have an issue with it. That is fair enough. I completely blacked that out. As you have in the past. I am good at that. I am very good at selective attention. You are a Lucifer lying apologist. Yeah, that sounds right. Just like I was a Dan apologist. And I'm gonna be a Dan apologist in the next scene. See, I didn't really have any notes on Dan in the next scene. So feel free to apologize for Dan. But what I want to say about Chloe is that she is such a rookie in this scene. You can tell that she's super smart. She has the right instincts. She has the Chloe gut feeling, as you mentioned before. But she's way too impulsive. She's way too reckless for how we know her later on and that will be what will make her the best detective in the precinct this is what is gonna put her over the top she is raw potential here and i love it i really enjoy how lauren german plays her and how she lets the greenness of chloe shine through it just really made me very excited for the character and for the acting performance And everything you said just plays right into my argument because I was expecting you to shame Dan for being the patronizing dick that he has been all of season one. But because of all the things you just listed, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that he is being a patronizing dick because Chloe does not have the reputation. Yes, but you do agree that he is being a patronizing dick regardless right and he is right to do so yes he does have a basis to do that but he is a patronizing date nonetheless yeah but rightfully so as long as we agree on that i'm fine and then we move on to the scene i called enter mezzacine enter indeed so lucifer is about to watch hot tub high school i wonder is it for the first time question Is Hot Tub High School straight up porn? No, 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 definitely not. Then why is he opening up his pants and having tissues ready? I feel like this directly ties up to my question, is this his first time watching this? I don't think it actually is. I think he's seen it before. And there are scenes of topless people who he enjoys looking at. It was a very nice callback Mm -hmm. with the Hot Tub High School, but it felt very over the top that he... He is instantly getting ready to jerk off to it because it is not straight up porn. Mm -hmm. It was a movie that had a topless scene in it. And sorry, you're fucking Lucifer Morningstar. You're really jerking off to a normal movie that has some boobs? It feels weird. It definitely felt a little over the top, but I can live with the hall. There is Chloe in there without her top on. As much of a stretch that is... This is something that I need to make peace somehow because otherwise it's just very gross and very out of context. I'm gonna go with the gross and out of character, but that's perfectly fine because enter Mace in the best possible outfit. I adore this armor. I adore this outfit. I love everything about this. Oh my fucking God, it's so amazing. The armor is directly lifted from at least some part of a comic and she is wearing that armor or one that is very much tried to go by that with the mask. 
I've seen this before, and this is why I thought of it immediately. The armor is lifted from the comic books, the design. I did not check it, so if you say it is so, I'm going to believe you. It is absolutely amazing. I agree with you there. But Lucifer actually drops a little nugget that was surprised me. He says that he doesn't actually do the torturing himself. Yes. Which was surprising to me because he likes to do his torturing on Earth himself. No, he doesn't. And this is what we argued at length the last episode. This is the base of our main disagreement. I have always been on the position that Lucifer is not the one to do the torturing himself and thus it makes no difference if he is personally in hell as long as hell is functioning as usual, which has been confirmed in the show. And you, on the other hand, have been insistent that he takes pleasure in torturing certain individuals himself. Making sure that he's there for the torturing doesn't necessarily mean that he's doing the torturing. But this is something that caught my mind. And yes, now I remember why. And my point still stands. And I feel this is explicit confirmation of my argument from last episode. But... We are not going to do a repeato of that argument because it was long. Not this time. But we do get Maze doing the torturing. And we do have such a carefree, happy Maze. It is such a sweet callback because in the pilot episode when we meet her, she is already slightly frustrated with Lucifer. If you by slightly mean very, yeah, I agree. (laughs) No, because very is what happens when she actually leaves him. So seeing her here being so in harmony with her existence and her job and her responsibilities and everything that she is was really great to see. And of course, we instantly get some tension between a maze and a manadiel foreshadowing fighting in season one, sex in season one. And Lucifer seems very much into it. Of course, he wants to watch them. He should have watched them in season one. But he didn't know about them in season one until he did. Exactly. And he should not have been angry. He should just have been angry that he didn't get to watch. Well, I think there were other reasons for him to be angry, but (laughs) yeah, making it very simple. Yeah, probably. And then we move on and get another cameo in this episode that I did not see coming. And this is the one that I pretty much hated the most. I don't see any reasoning for Chloe to meet or having a meeting with Charlotte before. I don't think that they mentioned knowing each other from before. It just didn't make any sense to me. And to me, this was purely fun service. And it did not have to happen. I agree with you in part. Yes, we didn't get any mention that they had actually met, but I feel that Chloe knew about Charlotte, so I'm willing to let that slide. But I agree with you that it's not necessary. This, though, for me, is the one thing I'm willing to forgive because this is the only way we could ever see a pre-mom Charlotte. And now that we have Charlotte post-mom as a regular character on our show, I was very intrigued to see how different and how similar she is compared to what happened. Mm. From a character study point of view, I really appreciated this scene, especially since it wasn't drawn out. And so I can forgive the non-necessity because of the depth of a character we gain from it. This 
does not justify it for me at all. I see where you're coming from, but it just didn't do it for me. Also, I think that the fact that Charlotte pretty much gives the ammunition to Chloe on a silver plate doesn't feel like something that Charlotte Richards, the shark, would ever do. It's in surprising dealing. that she slipped. Yeah, it's it just didn't fit for me, especially it's because Chloe is super cop. <gasps> yeah, magic. Basically, I mean, she is a miracle child and everything. So mm-hmm. who knows what hidden powers might slumber in Chloe Decker? Yeah, sure. no, but I agree with you, Charlotte, pre mom being that bad at her job, yeah, unlikely doesn't ring true so that scene was probably my least favorite scene out of the entire episode so charlotte for you is what the car is for me yeah pretty much that's okay and now we move on to the actual fighting scene oh my god and this is the basis of lucifer being so careless and having fun and it actually may be even enjoying the time with his brother until Ames calls him evil. Because I don't think that he realizes that he has been viewed as evil by Ames or by anyone. I think that he thinks of himself as a rebel, as the smart and cute one, the charming one. But he would never, ever, ever, and this is something that goes through the entire show, would think of himself as evil. I don't think that he's not aware that a man deal and the rest of heaven consider him evil but i think that he was having so much fun and actually enjoying himself with a manadiel and everything that he forgot for a moment hmm. and this basically a manadiel calling him evil is a literal slap in the face and this is trauma for him he fell because he rebelled but in the eyes of his brothers he fell because he was evil Mm -hmm. and he has been trying to find his own to come in into his own and to still just be considered this evil result of god basically it's traumatic for him he triggers he completely triggers his face changes and he's there and he's gonna do the most stupid thing ever which by the way, is a direct violation of the mentioned rule in the beginning of the episode. Celestial's interacting. I know, I know. I know what the rule is. I actually really, really like this. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Because there was nothing else that would cause him to flip like this. And we can definitely tell that Tom Ellis has been working on his role for the last few years because the frame that he has in this episode and the frame that he had in season one, episode one, is times a bit different. He definitely bulked up a lot. No, you mean to say Lucifer let himself go in five years of LA. Yes, and then when he meets the woman of his dreams, he starts bulking up again. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Let's go with that. (laughs) And they start fighting for realsies. And there's blood and there's a lot of... There's a surprising amount of blood, which I did not expect, especially for Lucifer. As in that it's so gory? No, remember last episode how I complained that the torture didn't have any blood? Oh, yeah. Lucifer is a show that very rarely shows us blood that we don't necessarily have to see. Mm. They don't try to be gory for gory's sake. Mm. I was surprised that we get that amount of violence and result of violence. Does it make me a bad person when I really, really enjoyed watching that? No, because I also enjoyed it extremely. But I also was surprised by it. Because A, 
I did not expect Amenadiel to actually be winning the fight. And B, I did not expect Amenadiel to stand down and let Lucifer win by submission. Well, in this moment, Ames is pretty much on the height of his power still. So even though Lucifer alludes to this over the episode a few times, they never actually fought together. Ames is still the greatest warrior of heaven of the Silver City. So it kind of makes sense for him to be winning the fight. This is where my comic knowledge is detrimental to the podcast because Lucifer is far superior than any of the other angels. I feel like he is definitely gonna get there because I don't feel like right now in... I don't feel that Lucifer is right now on the height of his own powers. I think Amenadiel is, which gives him the advantage. But Lucifer, to me, at this moment, is not there. Like I said, I simply have the expectation that Lucifer is a lot stronger than his brother. Mm -hmm. And so I did not see it coming that Amenadiel would be winning... And given Amenadiel's character, him throwing the fight, to use the words of the episode, also surprised me. Yeah. At some stage of the fight, I started wondering if Amenadiel is actually going to win this and then they're going to lose the money and they're going to try to get the person when they're going to try to murder one of them for not throwing the fight. So it would have been a nice plot twist to me that they would still be able to make it work somehow but it kind of works real well too that Amenadiel remembers that he's the angel technically or whatever he's on the higher moral ground yes he's the moral one so him taking the high road in this moment is probably good because I don't think he would do that if that would have happened six years later actually I feel like they would fight again he would never do that. He would never let Lucifer go. Depends on when in the show. Yeah, I suppose. We leave the fight and we move over to a stakeout scene Whee! where Chloe is doing cop work with Dan. And it's nice to see him being at least slightly supportive and doing the stakeout with Chloe. But he's still being condescending to towards her. Yes, but he is there with her. Well, yes, because she's his wife, but... I feel like he's prepping her for the unsuccess of the stakeout a little yes. too eagerly. Yes, but it also makes sense that sometimes it doesn't pan out and you can't get discouraged by it. Like, it's easier to keep your expectations low and not be disappointed. And I mean, let's be honest, that very well sums up Dan. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It doesn't fit Chloe, but in Dan's narrative, that actually kind of makes sense. And then, of course, the entire scene plays through. Surprise, surprise, it's the dude from the gym. Whoever could have seen that coming? And Chloe tries to get her suspect and gets the money, but no suspect. And I kind of feel for her that she literally has her correct assumptions and gut that everything is perfect. And then fucking angels steal her suspect. So unfair. You don't prep for that. Well, she'll know next time. <laughs> So I really felt bad for Chloe. I feel like I didn't realize that they actually flew him out. But then again, I'm looking at the note and thinking to myself, did I really not? When I watched it the Maybe. first time, I mean. It just feels very like, oh yeah, that is the only solution that could have happened. They get him out of there. They stick him into the hotel room and they start interrogating him. The guy is completely confused. Which makes sense because he just got flown from out of the 
open into a hotel room and two really impressive looking dudes are looking down on him and he was just trying to commit a felony. So I understand that he's a bit confused. I was just trying to make some money here. But what I liked most about this scene is that we finally have our proper first self-identification of a case with him, Lucifer. Yeah. And this part of the foreshadowing for the entire show, I enjoyed quite a lot. This whole situation is pretty great. Aminadil is being extremely petty about the necklace, obviously. But I just really wanted to punch him. But we really don't learn anything new in this scene except where the necklace is. And when they decide to drop drop him back like nothing happened which is so great because chloe is still there of course they're running around trying to find the dude where he disappeared and it's so beautiful because she's standing there and she turns around the dude is suddenly back and he goes i confess i confess it was me i will i killed him i killed him which is basically yay chloe you were right And now you don't even have to find any more proof because you have a confession and that just wraps your case up with a cute tiny little bow. I do wonder though, is this the case that gets Chloe to make detective? No, I think it puts her on the road. So technically, we could argue that she is detective because of Lucifer. Technically, because of Amenadiel. Well, yeah, but Amenadiel and Glamenadiel is not a ship, so... Thank fuck it's not. I mean, there's still season and a half in front of us, so who knows? Oh, yeah, please no. We go into the penultimate scene. We have the title drop without the question mark, just like in the German title. Mm-hmm. And I have said so before, but I want to say it again. I really appreciate that Lucifer took this life-changing advice from a porn star. Of course. And as I expected, his blank check is for Amenadiel to leave him be. But we already know that Amenadiel is not gonna keep his fucking word. So it did get eluded by you that angels cannot break their word. And that could be the start of a decline of Amenadiel as the great warrior and of his the powers. Silver City and his powers. It is... An interesting theory. I would like to know if that was intentional. I would like to know if it was calculated. And as you, same as you, I did kind of expect Lucifer to pull something like that with the blank check. And it made me extremely happy. It was very smart of Lucifer. Maybe the reasoning was not 100% the most rational decision, let's say, but it is a great thinking and great way to ensure that Lucifer is going to be able to continue living in LA for himself and doing what he wants and rebelling and enjoying his life to the fullest. Mm. And then we move on to the last scene, which I had been explicitly waiting for because we have already learned what Lucifer and Mace did when they first arrived in LA. Mm -hmm. And him having made that decision, I can actually accept as he has now arrived properly. Because when I was doing my research on the episode, people were angry with storytelling that he is walking through LA with his wings intact. Because he had said before that when he arrived in LA, he cut them off on the beach. And I say... 
I can live with that because now he made a decision to stay mm-hmm. and he has Mace on his side and they are on the beach and she's cutting off his wings as he told us so in the past. Yep. So I was good with this. We do get an amazing song playing. It's called American Funeral and it's by Joseph Angel. Nice. Is that the first angel in our playlist? Angel as a surname? Yeah, that it is. But the cinematics of this scene is beautiful it's impeccable but there is two bits in this scene that I loved the most and that is Lucifer's face and Maze's face Lucifer's determination to go through with this his defiance he has pure defiance on his face the emotion that he's showing on his face is absolutely amazing but so is Maze's and she's not even in complete focus which makes it even more impressive that she yeah and you can see the pain and unwillingness to do this yet she will do it for Lucifer himself because she is in this moment she is technically his servant she has to do it because he asked her to and I know that we debated on the relationship a lot but it does come down to the fact that Mace in this moment of history is gonna do what Lucifer asks her to do. She is devoted to him. Yeah. And that is gonna happen even though you can clearly tell by her face that she is very unwilling and she is in pain with the idea of hurting him. Also, that's her way back to hell. The wings? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting point as well. So I just want to point out, as much as I agree with everything you said, there also is another layer of this means Maze is never going back to hell. Because I'm pretty sure she doesn't know that he's gonna keep the wings so that they have like the potential travel feathers. Because in the episode when he burns the wings, she saves one of them. Basically as the final security which she then uses to save Amenadiel's life. Mm -hmm. And then she willingly gave up the last opportunity to go back to hell. But in this moment, I feel that's a layer one should not completely ignore. That sounds (laughs) correct. They tried to give us connections between characters who are already established as finding their connections later on and through very different ways. While It was definitely not done badly. I do not understand the need for this pseudo-pilot episode in the middle of season three. And I know it was season two, but still. It's nice to see Charlotte in pre-mom mode, even though I would have expected her to be way more competent and not get caught that easily by Chloe in a slip-up. Seeing Dan back in his patronizing and potentially dirty cop days reminds me why we were not such big Dan fans back in season one. All in all, it was an okay episode. But let's be honest, this season cannot survive many more filler episodes. But, spoiler, next episode, no filler. Yay. Yeah, as you said, this is the perfect filler episode. It is set in the past. It's utterly irrelevant to what is happening on the show currently. You could literally put this episode anywhere and it wouldn't matter. That being said, I am very happy that this is the last insert. Yes. Because as much as I said before, I appreciate seeing the raw demon maze and the dumb out of touch Eminadil and fairly clueless Lucifer. They gave us this massive, massive cliffhanger with revealing Pierce 
as Kane. And now they drop this? It just made me really angry and slightly uninterested. And they watered down my interest into actually knowing more about the whole Kane story. Because I'm just like, eh, I've been waiting for too long. Fuck it. I'm that type of a person. Because we talked so long about the last two storyline episodes, I actually appreciated having a non-storyline episode because I knew we wouldn't be running that long. (laughs) I mean, practical to the last minute. Fair. I appreciate the little nods to the stuff like Taco Tuesday, even though that came with its own things. But the fact that some of our characters meet early and as we mentioned I didn't mind Emmanuel and Chloe meeting as much but Chloe and Charlotte was a big big kind of a stretch point for me it just felt like they were trying to get actors a job rather than create a believable story so I loved the outfits I really enjoyed the jokes I liked watching Chloe being smitten by Dan I loved 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 that was my favorite thing character wise about this episode watching Chloe being smart and yet so inexperienced. So, in the end, probably relatively positive outcome to this. Just agree with me and say it was an okay episode. I didn't hate it. I hated the fact that we're going away from the main plotline, but it's an okay episode. You want to. Thank you. (laughs) Whatever. And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you are curious, find us on the various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards from early release to hours of bonus content. Yes, Hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us. Because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.